25th Line, Mike Todd here, in arena host for your Columbus Blue Jackets, and you're listening to the Subjectively Speaking Podcast. And now, here's Jeremy Paul and Laura Norman. What is up, everyone, and welcome into what I will deem the most special episode of Subjectively Speaking yet. My name is Jeremy. And I'm Laura. And Laura, I am drinking nothing other but a long drink on today's episode because uh, we have the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalainen, joining us for this podcast. Can you believe it? No, I cannot. I honestly, like, am still pinching myself, and it's been a whole 26, almost 27 hours since we did the interview with him. So, no, I cannot. But it was yeah. a dream come true. It is absolutely wild. It's so wild even that it's been even over 48 hours since we recorded the interview with him. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you have been twisted and turned all beside yourself because of just how exciting it was. You guys, if you don't listen to any other episode of ours, which you should, uh, you should absolutely listen to this one. Uh, we'll have our interview with Yarmo, and we'll follow that up with, with our conversation about what the draft looks like and all of that kind of stuff, but we're recording here on uh, July 4th. So the days are all messed up, though, because I know I simply was not at work today, like did not have to worry about like doing that cool thing. So it definitely feels like a Sunday to me, too. Like I'm just like all befuddled in my brain, like where we are. Thank you for trying to rationalize my inability to know what day it is. I do whatever I can, right? Like I feel like you could commit like a really bad crime, and I would be like, no, but listen, like I get why, like I get it, like I think it was justifiable. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you feel the same for me. Yeah, I definitely think that you would probably absolutely hide a body for me, but we should probably not talk about that on the podcast if we're going to do it. So um, how are you doing on this Monday? Um, good. Yeah, I'm good. It's NHL draft week. Um, as you just said, we just are about to debut our biggest interview um of all time in show history um and yeah i'm seeing the backstreet boys on wednesday so I'm very excited for that i'm very excited for that for you i, I also get to see you in person on thursday say, barring a positive covid test because i don't know if y'all can hear it my voice is like kind of like bah, and like my like sinuses are kind of messing up and got a little bit of a cough here so we're gonna make it through this episode and we're gonna pray there's one solid line on a COVID test because I don't have time. I don't have the time right now to test positive for COVID. But yes, yeah, the NHL draft this week starting Thursday, first round coverage, um, pretty much everywhere you normally find it. So you'll want to look out for that NHL draft party at Pins at Easton in Columbus. Uh, you know, so that's another really cool way to get together with folks from the community to be able to to figure out who the next Blue Jackets are going to be. And it's fascinating because as you'll hear. Uh, in our conversation with Yarmo, you know, we're expected to pick at 6-12, and 12, but that certainly is not guaranteed. Uh, and so that's always the fun of the draft. Uh, as you'll remember, really wild things have happened uh, during during drafts of years past, specifically last year during the, the second day of the draft is when Cam Atkinson and uh, Jakob Voracek swapped teams. And so, man, it's it has potential to be that kind of a draft weekend in Columbus. I will say that I need everybody to breathe a little bit, though. I don't think it could be as wild <laughs> as that was. Like, that to me seems like a little bit unrealistic, but it's going to be a pretty wild weekend in Columbus. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I super, I super pray. It's just not as, as wild um, as last year's draft, but um, you know, I'm not nearly as emotionally attached as of yet to anyone as I am slash was to Cam Atkinson. So I think my emotions might be okay. Um, hopefully, who knows? But I did keep my promise to you that um, while we were in the presence of Yarmo, I didn't ask him why he decided to break my heart into a thousand pieces. So that was really huge self restraint from you. And I was very, very proud of you for doing that. Yeah, last year, I mean, you had Seth Jones get traded just right before the draft started, and that's what secured us the 12th overall pick, and it secured us Cole Sillinger. And then, of course, with that, also the 6th overall pick this year. Uh, you had, again, the trade that shall not be named the following day. I mean, there's just so much that happened during that time, and now nothing is outside of the realm of possibility. I have no... There, there, like I know for a fact, especially after our conversation with Yarma, which I promise we're going to get to, mm-hmm. you know, I nothing is like off the table, in my opinion, going into this draft. And I think that's just as exciting as it is horrifying if you're a Blue Jackets fan. Yes, it is. I mean, many of the like regular journalists and pundits have said, like, this has potential to be a pretty interesting, like, draft and free agency um for the blue jackets and i obviously know the fans some fans are never going to be happy with whatever we do because it's not like some crazy thing like we traded and got you know austin matthews please god don't let that happen but you know we don't it's it's never like as huge as someone wants it to be but this is going to be a big like going into our second year of this rebuild retool, whatever you want to call it is this is going to be a crucial, crucial draft for us. Cause whoever, whomever um, we draft could play a big role into once this team is really going again and the success that will come along with that. So it's going to be exciting. And as we talk about in the episode or in the interview, we uh, wholeheartedly trust Yarmo. So and in Yarma, we trust is absolutely right. So it doesn't feel like any better of a time than now to turn over to that interview with Yarmo, and we will catch y'all on the other side of it. All right, folks, we are thrilled to be joined by the general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalainen. Yarmo, thank you so much for joining us, especially just days away before the 2022 NHL entry draft in Montreal. Um, how are you feeling going into the draft, knowing just, uh, you know, once again, another huge draft for the franchise? Well, we feel good. We feel like it's a great opportunity for us having the uh, sixth and twelfth overall picks as of today, and that could obviously change before we get there. But um, you know, we're excited. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to add add some uh, serious talent into our depth chart. No doubt, and I like that you say as of today because, as we all know, the landscape is ever changing, always, and that you know. No exception to that this last week because uh, the team announced uh, just a few days ago, traded the fourth round pick that the team held, the 122nd pick overall um, for Matthew Olivier. Now, you're somebody who comes from a scouting background. You love making these picks. They mean the world to you. So obviously you think highly of Matthew Olivier to, to use one of those assets on him. Where do you see him fitting into the, into the lineup this coming year? Well, I think he, he fills a need for us. He's a physical forward with some size and heaviness to him. He, he likes to play a rugged style, physical, and, and um, 
something that we felt that we needed in our lineup. You know, we had two fourths. We have seven picks or had seven picks overall uh, in uh, going into the draft. We felt that uh, it was a fair price to pay. Um, the probabilities get lower and lower as you go uh, go uh, further into the draft. Obviously, you can make some home runs from later rounds as well, but the probabilities are not great. This is a guy who's already played in the NHL, and we believe he's going to be a full-time player for us. That's awesome. I mean, we were both very excited to see uh, such an early on transaction um, and adding some like enforcer skill uh, into the lineup. It's a really exciting addition. Um, so let us in as much as you're able to on what the NHL draft process is like. Obviously, Vilay Siren and his team have been working on this draft draft for years at this point. Um, but what does it look like just days before the draft and draft day? Well, the process starts for the, uh, you don't really get to watch the underages as we call them too much because there's so many draft eligible, first time draft eligible players that you need to cover. And, and our philosophy is that we don't try to get to know 500 players. We, we, we try to narrow it down from uh, the job that our area scouts do fairly quickly so that the crossover guys and, and the guy in charge can only concentrate on, on, a, on a lot smaller number, number of players that he can actually get to know and know well enough to put them in, the, in good order. It would be impossible for one or two guys to, uh, to travel around the world and, and get to know 250 players really well. It's just uh, then, then the order kind of becomes um, irrelevant at that point. If you, if you haven't seen the guys enough, you have to decide who's 125th and who's 126th. It just doesn't make any sense. So um, concentrate on a smaller number of, of players, put them in good order, and, and we'll probably get four or five rounds of of players from that group. So that, that's that's one big part of the philosophy. But as I said, um, we start that process in August, basically, uh, watching the, uh, the that age group that's getting drafted for the first time. And as we go, that's all we do. We, 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 we watch, we evaluate, we scout, and then we work on the order. So it starts from the areas, you know, whoever is in, in the, the area scout in Finland or Sweden or Western Canada or Quebec or USA is going to work on his area and, and make sure that uh, the top 10 is, is in great order so that the uh, crossover guys go to see the right guys, the guys that they need to spend time watching, putting in, in, in uh, the right order when we do the overall list. So um, that's all we do. We, we With the scouts, we, we watch, we evaluate, we, we work on the order, we work on the order, and and then ultimately Villa Suren decides the, uh, the overall list and and, and and once you worked on it all year, basically regularly after every game, and uh, the last game is played, your list is pretty much there. Then we do all kinds of background checking and psychological testing, and and we get the combine results and watch the them compete in the testing there, and and we adjust the order a little bit. But you know, ninety percent of the order comes from how how they did on the ice, what they did on the ice. But but. Uh, an important part of it is also how they are off the ice and what kind of people they are, what kind of teammates they are, what kind of character they have. The character should always be shown on the ice uh, first and foremost, but also the uh, the teammate part's very, very important for us. Most definitely. And, and as we kind of go into every draft year, right, uh, fans always have ideas of what the team needs. They've got players circled on, you know, the mock drafts, like who they want you to take. And obviously, 
for you and in your team, you know, that's kind of going in one ear and out the other. You're going to do what you feel is best for the for the team as you should. But how how often are you like taken back by how much that differs, right? Like the fans perspective on what the team needs and your perspective and the scouting teams perspective on what the team needs. Well, I, I think it's great. The, the fans have the passion and they they, um, they, they think what, what we need the most and, and, and weigh in on their forums on, on what we should do. That's that's just great that people are interested and people are passionate about the Blue Jackets. Um, I would be very cautious in trying to uh, get a quick fix from the draft because it could take five years before that guy's ready to play and then our needs could be completely different. That's why we always stick to the philosophy of taking the best player available regardless of the position or style of play and and, and we can't get away from that because it's just it would, it would be uh it'd be silly to, to take a, a forward uh, because we feel like we need scoring or or defensemen because because we feel like we, we should have, have have better defensemen at, at this point when uh, you know that guy could play in in 2028 20, 29 season and make an impact to become an NHL player, we, we could have a completely different team at that point. And kind of in the same breath, um, pundits and fans always try to assign a value to a draft year before they're able to really see um, and evaluate the talent that it um, articulates to the NHL. And with that, how deep does your scouting team feel this draft class is? Well, I always say the same boring answer that, you know, if people say it's a weak draft, let's make it a great one. So, you know, I, I just saw a couple of uh, stories written about 2017 draft that was supposed to be a weak draft, but then you get a Kale McCarr um, fourth overall in that draft. And, and we've all seen this spring what he's all about. And, and, and um, so you, know, you you just work on that order. And then, then you know, that that's the tough part here too, is that, that players are in such different stages of their career when they're 18 years old, they, they could be physically mature or immature. They could be psychologically mature or immature. And the guys that are really driven to get better, you know, that if, if they have that immaturity on the physical side or skill side, but they have that drive to, to get better every day and, and, and they have, they're relentless workers, they, they just go up like this and they become, become great a little bit later. And, that that's the toughest part in amateur scouting is projecting a 17 18 year old old kid and what what he's going to be when he's 25 uh, you don't have a crystal ball and and the uh, the the character the mental side of things is 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 uh, so hard to uh predict in particular so um that's that's why the area scouts are so important they, they need to get get to the bottom of everything these these guys do how they how they do their in their school how they treat their uh, friends and, and teachers and and uh, do they open the door for, for a young lady when they see, see her at the grocery store and and, and just just all, all of that goes into being being a good teammate, good citizen and, and a driven athlete and and that's the hardest part because the, the, the seeing what's on the ice is, is uh, on the skill side in particular is fairly easy anybody. Any of us that, that have done this for, for a long time can see who can skate, who can pass the puck, who can, who can, uh, who has speed and, and, uh, who has a hard shot. Those, those things are easy, but the other, other parts of the uh, scouting are a lot harder. Yeah. I often find myself not envying the position that you find yourself in when it comes to some of these decisions and, and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that's been clear over the last, you know, 
almost decade of your tenure in Columbus is is the term in Yarmo we trust has kind of become a popular term around social media. And it's really quite the endorsement considering Blue Jackets fans didn't really, you know, trust or buy into the front office in this way until your tenure. Um, so in, in terms of that and on a personal level, like how much does that mean to you and to your team, um, kind of just recognizing the effect that you've had on Columbus hockey? Well, it, uh, first and foremost, it's not about me. It's, it's about the Blue Jackets and, and we have a great, uh, great staff. And that's, that's another part of uh, the whole thing. Like I, I believe in, in character in the, in the people that I work with and that's how I try to hire. I hire people that I trust people that are driven pe- people have that have integrity and, and and work ethic and and i think that i'm surrounded by by really great people uh from the front office down to the scouting staff and and that makes my job a lot easier and um you know that's what team sports are all about whether it's in the office or you know, in the locker room or on the ice and you got to trust the guy next to you and, and have respect for each other and Whatever the roles are, we we uh, we appreciate the the job that's getting done for the Blue Jackets, and and I think we have a lot of fun together. That's that's another part that that um, I appreciate a lot too. That we have a lot of laughs and and we we work hard, but we have fun as well. And we love that. I definitely think that that is pretty evident. Um, through you know just seeing pictures and uh, engaging with anyone on your on your staff. Um, so I think that that's a big bonus for fans, uh, to know that the, the front office staff is functions as a team and, um, really enjoys like working together. I think that makes a big difference. Um, but we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about the NHL global series matchup this fall against now reigning Stanley cup champions, uh, the Colorado avalanche. So how excited are you about the trip and what's your one travel tip for members of the fifth line that are making their way to Finland in November? Oh, I get lots of tips and, 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 and it's, uh, it's going to be a great trip. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, showing my home country from a little, maybe a little different perspective than, than people that may have traveled there before and, and but I haven't seen much, much else in the hotel and the hockey rink. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully having a lot of Blue Jackets fans in the uh, in the building. It's a beautiful building, brand new building in Dampere, and and uh, I was born in that city, but uh, lived lived a little further north most of my life. But it's uh, it's going to be a great experience. It's obviously going to be a great opponent. Uh, we we know how good the uh, Colorado Avalanche are, and uh, but the NHL is uh, is a tight league. We were one of the two teams this year that. Uh, beat them both times uh, so uh look forward to having some great games against them and and uh, hopefully coming back with four points i hear from people that i have to have authentic long drink like i've had it here in the states and what they produce here but i've heard that that's like a must-have on my list oh yeah that's def- definitely one of them aaron <laughs> ports always markets that very very heavily because he's, he's made the trip to finland Yep, and that's exactly who I've seen it from. I'm like, so that's on my list for sure. Um, so what is your message? I mean, obviously the the off season gets to, like you said, like you get to late summer and it kind of slows down a little bit, but just in terms of the off season in general, what is your message to fans in the fifth line as they prepare to watch the draft and then the rest of what comes with the off season? Well, it's just come grow with us. We're we're gonna, you know, I think we proved to a lot of people that we can turn this around uh, a lot quicker than than some people thought. 
I thought we had some real good parts of uh, of last season that that uh, showed the excitement that we can have around our young 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 players and and our young team. Um, hey, it's going to take a little while before we we become a, a true contender again, but I think we'll do it a lot sooner than a lot of people have thought. And uh, once we get to get to that group again, that can that can compete for the Stanley Cup again, we're we're gonna we're gonna build a lot of excitement in the city. We've seen we've we've had a taste of it in 2019, what it can be like. And we only went two rounds, so I, I can't wait to get there when we go four rounds finally and and bring the Stanley Cup to uh, Columbus. That's that's my dream. I know that's the dream of our whole staff, and 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 we work hard at it, and and we'll get there. Oh, absolutely. And we are very much so excited and anticipating of that that day eventually when the cup comes back to Columbus. But um, so obviously in the like calendar of events in the offseason, um, the free agency opens up on July 13th. After Sorry, I muted myself. Um, so with that, um, in that case, how much does the draft alter a team's game plan as they're heading into free agency? Well, I think there's going to be some activity once we get to Montreal. There could be some trades, and and, and that's another route that we can take in, in, in adding and making our team better. Um, so we're, we're going to look at all, all different avenues of doing that. Obviously, um, um, you know, the, the picks that we have, could be used for trades to get some immediate help, but it's not going to be for an older player. If we're going to trade one of those picks, it's going to be a younger player that we can control and have with our team and grow with our team for, for years. Uh, we're not looking for immediate help for the next couple of years to to try to take a step or two. We want to build this the right way, and, and the right way of building is, is to be able to compete for the Stanley Cup. So um, once we see what happens at the draft and how, how everything uh, pans out, then then we can set our sights on the free agency and, and, and look for the same things again, which is try to make our team better. And that's, that's what we're here for every day. I always joke that if I was an NHL GM and I saw your name come across my caller ID, I'd get a little nervous to answer. Cause I feel like you always do such a great job at, at creating trades for this team that, you know, might not be on people's radars at first, but then all of a sudden <laughs> it's all everybody's talking about. So I'm looking forward to a little bit of that, hopefully here in the off season, but you mentioned it earlier, the ultimate goal in Columbus is, is to bring a Stanley cup home. And this is a little bit of a superstitious question. So if it's a question that you'd, you'd rather pass on totally fine by me, but if the day and when the day comes that that cup does come to Columbus, you know, all sorts of stories about things that people put in the cup to eat or drink out of the cup. And we always ask our guests as our last question, what would you put in the cup to eat or drink out of it? <laughs> I would probably stick to liquids, but I'd definitely take it to my cottage in Finland and sit on the dock and and, and watch the sunset with a nice glass of wine. I love it. Well, Yarmo, we cannot thank you enough for taking some time out of your afternoon. Obviously, busy, busy days ahead for you and your team. Um, is there anything else that you'd want to share or any other things that we think we missed on? No, I think you guys covered it pretty well. And, and uh, just keep believing in us and, and uh, we'll make you proud one day. No doubt in our mind whatsoever. Folks, this has been an interview with Yarmo Kekalainen, general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yarmo, thank you so much, and we wish you uh, best of luck in Montreal. Safe travels. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, folks. And that was general manager Yarmo Kekalainen 
filling us in on what it is like to be a part of the NHL draft from an executive level, from a front office level, and providing a little bit of insight on what the future looks like, a little bit of words of encouragement to the Blue Jackets faithful, uh, letting them know, you know, as long as you, you hang on with us, you hold the faith, we're going we're gonna to make you proud. And that, to me, was probably the coolest part of that interview was his last his last little plea to Blue Jackets fans. But Laura, I just overall your thoughts on the, on the conversation with Yarma. Oh, I, um, it was great from start to finish. He was just so kind and generous to give us um, some of his time and to be so willing to answer all of our questions. Like you and I said, we weren't sure if he was going to answer the last question we asked him because it is kind of a superstitious um thing but no he went he went full full bore on that and i can't wait till one day we can frame a picture of yarmo sitting on his dock in finland with just the cup sitting beside him full of wine so um that'll be a glorious day for both columbus um and yarmo for sure but no i didn't mean second to what you said about his message to the fans um i think my other favorite part was how much they pay attention to who prospects are off of the ice and what they are like as a person, how they act in their communities, how they do in school. Um, you know, what is, what is their family life? Like what, you know, what sort of things are they passionate about outside of hockey? Like, and he really like, cause that's always my thing too. Like I'm the one, Jeremy does analytics. I'm the one that's like, are they nice to their mom? Like, I want to know these things. Um, and so it was really like cool for me to hear, you know, from the big man himself that they really do take all of those things into consideration as well. Cause like you heard him in the interview, you know, stats are really easy to find out about a person and stats are really easy and skills are really easy to see um right away with a prospect but it's all that other stuff um that really helps them determine if a person's going to be prepared to go into the nhl i almost wonder if they started using that method after 2016 maybe because something the name pierre luc dubois and like commitment to loyalty and that kind of stuff, just not really like totally like lining up uh, hand in hand together. So after 2017, uh, Yarmouk and his team <laughs> make the bold decision to start paying attention to those things. No, he always has. That's me just being a smart ass. It's like, uh, wow, yeah. it's usually me that throws PLD shade. No, I had to. I just had to. Yeah, I mean, it just, I think he's just very confident in where this is and where it's going. And, you know, a question we asked him about too, uh, you know, talking about Matthew Olivier, who was traded for, you know, since our last episode, uh, we traded a fourth round pick, 122nd overall, in order to acquire Matthew Olivier, who is somebody who is pretty much just like, let's call it what it is. Like, he's an enforcer, he's a fourth line grinder. He, you know, is everything that this team, you know, I think we talked about it over the course of the last few months of the season. This is just like, that's a piece that we're missing on this team. And I think that that's a part of the organization's offseason checklist that they checked off. But like I said in the interview, Yarmo and his team, they like making draft picks. I mean, the the countless conversation after the team went for it was, oh, my God, the scouting team is going crazy because we're running out of draft picks because you traded them all away to try to win a cup in 2019. And so anytime this team trades away an asset like that, 
you can tell that they're in on whatever they're getting in return. And so the the Jackets will not have that fourth round pick, but they will have Matthew Olivier. And as Yarma said, it's somebody who he thinks is going to be a lineup regular. And I think that that does a little bit more of this like log jam. So I think that nothing is again out of the question when it comes to kind of shedding a little bit of this depth that we have in our bottom six forward core. Yeah, absolutely. And we do still have a fourth round pick. We had two. Um, so I think he felt pretty okay. Um, and it was actually a pick that we got from Toronto, which I think for Riley Nash. I no, that would have been with David Savard. The Riley Nash one was last year's sixth overall or sixth gotcha. round, I think. I think. Yeah. So then for David Savard. Um, but uh, so. So, yeah, so he was okay, and like you heard in the interview, of course, like he really does feel like Olivier is going to be a full-time, like full roster guy, and I'm personally excited to have for us to have that enforcer presence um, and to maybe he can encourage some of the other guys that are like on the brink of maybe wanting to be an enforcer, like Sean Corrales and... uh, (laughs) Sean Crowley and like, you know, some of the like Gavrikov, like some of those people that have like the potential, but they just haven't like fully gone for it yet. And also, um, yeah, so totally agree. I was going to clarify something because I was reading something, but I was totally wrong. And my reading, my, my reading comprehension, just not there today, but yeah, no, I think, that that's i mean have you seen the curtis gabriel fight everybody like i hate i hate bringing attention to curtis gabriel in such a way because i have a lot of respect and care for him as a person like for a lot of reasons but man matthew like it was back when you know matthew matthew olivier was obviously with the preds organization playing for the admirals and the milwaukee admirals i should say and probably like one of the most ungodly ugly uniforms i've ever seen in my life uh, it was like their fish fry night, and so they were all wearing like these like checkered like red and white like jerseys. It was just really bad, but absolutely Ooh. clobbered Curtis Gabriel. It was really not not a pretty sight. Um, and obviously, he was a member of the Blackhawks organization at that time, playing for the Ross- Rockford Ice Hogs. But yeah, I I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's going to be a really good piece for us, and I think he's going to do a lot to protect some of these younger guys that we're talking about. You know, from last year's draft, the you know to this year's draft. No matter what happens, obviously these guys are going to be guys who hopefully one day, maybe not this year, but in the next couple of years, will end up, you know, being Blue Jackets. Of course, Matthew Olivier, only one year left on his deal, but we'll see what happens there. But Laura, you know, getting excited for the draft, it gets me excited for something else. DraftKings? Yeah, it gets me excited to spend my money on DraftKings and maybe even win some money because uh, the action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, folks, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all of your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major actions for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, the same game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props. Your betting options feel endless. Obviously, hockey season's over, but maybe you're looking to throw a dollar or two at the Reds, or maybe you want to put a pick on for the Guardians. Uh, Whatever you want to do, 
you can do it because DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, Laura, I'm going to ask you to make a bet right now. Okay. Do the Blue Jackets pick at 6 and 12? Um, I think we definitely pick at six, but I, I don't think we're going to pick at 12. I think we're going to use 12 as a bargaining chip. Interesting. Interesting. Now, obviously the rumors are abound, right? Uh, there are plenty of people thinking that maybe the Blue Jackets will try to move up in the draft and in order to do that. Well, they probably would have to trade both of those, right? In in order to get up to a two or a three. Uh, obviously, I don't think they're getting to one. I don't think they want to get to one. But there's a lot of options. The possibilities are endless. And I I lean on the side of I think that they're going to make both picks. I don't know that they're going to make a trade. I don't know what I want them to do. Like my project, my prediction there versus what I want, those might not be the same. I, I honestly not sure <laughs> as I like continue to think about it over and over again. But, man, it just – there's – it just doesn't feel like there's a wrong choice when you know who's at the helm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And so obviously, you know, we're the podcast of the people. We ask the people what they would want the Blue Jackets to do. And, um, you know, of course, plenty of <laughs> plenty of variance in opinion. But uh, out of the 42 people who participated in our poll, 52% said that they want the Blue Jackets to make the 6th and 12th pick. Uh, 29% of those folks uh, want us to trade to move up using those picks, uh, you know, and uh, the other group uh, wants to see 17% of them want to see the Blue Jackets trade for an asset. So I think that that kind of goes to to what you were saying, Laura, about using maybe one of those draft picks in a package to try to get somebody. Uh, because as we all know, there are some gaps that I think people point to pretty regularly <laughs> in Blue Jackets land. One of those being the defense. Uh, and so I think, that would probably be what you would see. Uh, you would see a team maybe you know need to offload one of their one of their defensemen. The first team that comes to my mind, and this might be a little bit of an overpay, is uh, Arizona and Jacob Chicken. Uh, would twelve be enough to persuade them, or would they have? Would you have to give up the sixth overall? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and for me anyway, I know you love to play armchair GM, but totally. um, I. And we have way too much anxiety to do that. So I'm personally like very glad that I don't have to be put in these situations. Um, But yeah, I mean, and Yarmo like is definitely one of those GMs that you don't really know what he's going to do before he does it. Like everyone likes to speculate um, and everyone likes to see if they can gauge like, where he's at on anything. But I think, I think during my time in paying attention to the draft, um, one of the biggest like things of that is when he drafted Igor Chinnikov and everyone was like, who, what did you do? <laughs> and like, nobody had any idea that he would make that kind of move. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. He has one of the, he and his team um, have one of collectively the greatest hockey minds 
um, you know, out there and they're ready to build the Blue Jackets into something that can have some, you know, legacy um, success. Yeah. And I think that his, his comment, right. About not really trying to put together this list full of hundreds of players and evaluating all those players into, you know, a, a list of, you know, one through, you know, 249. It's like, no, like it, it's pretty slim, the group that they have that they're evaluating constantly. And I think that that's part of the reason it goes back to that, like quality over quantity conversation that I think you can have about this is like, yeah, it's great to have a list of hundreds and hundreds of guys, but to not know what you're getting in them, well, that's a real problem. And I think that that's exactly when you, exactly to your point about Igor Chinnikov, Igor Chinnikov found himself on the short list of the Blue Jackets, you know, prospects for the draft in 2019, excuse me, 2020. And they were like, yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, and that's why everybody was surprised because maybe Igor Chinnikov wasn't on other teams' short lists. And uh, we're, we're lucky and grateful here in Columbus that he was on ours. Uh, so that's a big win, I think, for this franchise. And I think it's also you know, when we're looking at doing the research for this episode and you're uh, reading like the, the mock draft uh, specifically from Corey Pronman <laughs> says, you know, he makes his pick and he said, I presume Columbus will take whichever of the six are left, but I wouldn't put it past this group to deviate from a consensus. <laughs> so uh, not exactly uh, a novel concept that maybe the Blue Jackets will pick off of the board at one of these you two like- picks. We like to keep people on their toes, Corey. We like to keep people on their toes. We certainly do. And I have like my my 12th overall, like who I could see the Blue Jackets taking would be exactly that, I think, in some ways. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people talk about the talent of a draft, as we asked Yarmo about. And they kind of like say, oh, this is a deep draft. This is a weak draft. And obviously, we're not going to know for five years, right? Like, we're not going to know what this draft actually looks like until a lot of these players find their way to the NHL and we can see how they play. But a lot of thoughts about this draft being pretty weak, and I don't know that I agree. Like, as I look at some of these names that I know could potentially be Blue Jackets by the end of the week, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about this list of names. Uh, I know that, you know, we had talked about a list of names that we wanted to talk about. And when I look at that list, there's nobody there that I say, I would really be pissed if the Blue Jackets picked him at six or 12. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, as someone who's still continuously learning so much about like the game and the structure of the game and how all of this stuff works, um, you know, I, I, it took me a little bit to learn. And I know that this is kind of a concept that other fans haven't really gotten yet either it's just that like when you look at the draft it's not really like at least how I understand how drafts and other sports work where like you get drafted and then you immediately go and play like for the team that drafted you like hockey is very different I mean obviously you can look at Cole Sillinger and be like well it worked for Cole yeah well that's because Cole is like a very specific situation. And you have to remember that he's the only one out of all 32 players that were drafted first round last year that played the entire season in the NHL. Because like we talk about with European players, like it's an adjustment to the NHL. It is, or to play NHL level hockey. And so, yeah, they're probably, obviously if you're being considered for the draft, you are, an exceptional hockey player and you've been playing exceptionally for several years now because there's been enough 
talk about you that scouts have been looking at you and like you're being considered, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready to just jump on a team. I mean, take a look at Kent Johnson. Like I really believe that he needed the experience that he's gotten over this last year with playing at Michigan, going to the Olympics. Like, you know, those are all things that help make these brand new players or brand new draft picks, like more prepared to come into the NHL. So like, that was something I didn't understand right away. I was like, well, why isn't this person Liam Foodie? Cause Liam Foodie was my first like, Oh yeah. Draft person that I like where I was paying attention to the draft. And I think I turned to you at like season opener that year and was like, why is not like Liam Foodie on the roster? And you were like, it's not, that's not how it works. And we and made here we are in 2022. What? Then here we are in 2022. Still probably Liam Foodie is like <laughs> not gonna start. He he might start the season in Columbus, but I I don't know. But, but yeah, so it's it's all of those things, and you know, like Yarmo said in the interview, like you should never go into a draft hoping to get a piece that you need right now. Like you don't go to the draft with like we really need like the Blue Jackets. We really need a solid defenseman. That's not what you're doing. Like there's so many parts and pieces that you look for the things that you're going to need down the line and potential moves and like situations that you're going to have to make. So you're kind of just trying to make yourself the most prepared for whatever will happen, not for an immediate like fix of an issue that you have right now. So yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, if the Blue Jackets, I think, like, because that Liam Foodie draft would have been 2018 or 2019. Yeah. 2018. So let's think about that, right? So, like, in 2018, you look at the Blue Jackets and you look at, hey, goaltending, we're pretty solid. We've got Sergei Bobrovsky, we've got Jonas Corbisalo, we've got this, that, and the other. Oh, hey, look at this. 2018, we've got, you know, Artemi Panarin killing it. Like, if you base your picks off of the team that you have now, five years from now, okay the team has signed Liam Foody to a two-year deal, the first year being a two-way, the second year being a one-way. So one could assume that the team projects him to be NHL ready by 2023. A lot has changed since 2018 for the Blue Jackets organization, and it will change even more so in the next year. And so that, to me, is a key, key indicator on why you don't do that. I think that helps to, like, really put it into perspective. I think what you can do is I think, like, if you've got a good scouting team, I think if you've got a pretty good grip on where you're at as a franchise in your prospect pool. I think you can look at it right now and you can say, okay, like our defensive depth in our prospect pool maybe isn't where we want it to be. Maybe we don't have that player who is eventually in the next three to five years going to become the the defenseman that plays on the right side of Zach Wierenski. Andrew Peake did it this year. A lot of people don't know that that's the role for him on this team, and that's okay. You know, of course, and Kuhlerman's is somebody who could be that, but he's still got another year, maybe two in college. So if you start to look at that and you start to look at some of these names like Simon Nemec or, you know, David Juracek, who are both right-hand defensemen, both of them kind of like hovering around this top five. A lot of people suggest that one of those defensemen will probably fall to six. And, and in a lot of ways, making that pick at six for either Simon Nemec or David Juracek makes a lot of sense for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I'm really interested. I, I try... I think a lot of people get excited for like the flashy like skill guys who get drafted. Like we were like Ken Johnson. Like, are you kidding me? Like when he got drafted, we were also excited about what that brought. You know, Cole Sillinger, are you kidding me? We were also excited about what that brought. 
defenseman, you don't really get that same kind of excitement. Like, you don't get, like, obviously a player like Kale McCarr, I mean, he went fourth overall in his draft, and it's like you do that redraft, and Kale McCarr goes first every time. And so people just don't get excited the same way about defensemen, but I'm pretty excited about the possibility of these two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm starting to get more excited when the draft comes around every year. So, Without a doubt. And I, you know, you look at this, you know, Simon Nemec is a player out of Slovakia. Uh, then you've got a player like David Yurchak, who's who's out of the Czech Republic, which is hilarious. Uh, and I, both of these players, like, they would be a welcomed addition for the Blue Jackets. I think if you ask Blue Jackets fans, I think David Yurchak is, like, who they're hoping for at six. Uh, but obviously, like, there are other players around there, too, that could potentially be available that might be tempting for the Blue Jackets. I, I look at a player like, you know, Cutter Gautier, which – also, how much of a badass name is Cutter? Can we talk about that? <laughs> it is a pretty cool name. Do you know where? Okay, so I was listening to Front Nationwide. Got to give credit where credit is due. And Dave Metzold told the story about why his name is Cutter. Oh, why is his name Cutter? So he was born in Sweden. I think it was Sweden. Sweden or Switzerland. Because his dad was playing professional hockey in that country. And so... His grandmother was looking through a cookbook, like a Swedish cookbook, and found the name Cutter and was like, that is what this child shall be named. And so that is how he got his name from a Swedish cookbook, which I think is just uncanny. <laughs> That's very sweet. I like that. But uh, Blue Jacket fans, you're going to recognize one of these names. Cutter Gautier, like tries to model his game after like Pierre-Luc Dubois or like those kind of types, like a Josh Anderson, more of like, he can score. Like he's really offensively talented, but he's also kind of an asshole. And that's kind of like, a, a, like here I am calling a 17, 18 year old an asshole on a podcast and I'm almost 25, but <laughs> nevertheless, I, you look at that and like, that's also like kind of what the blue jackets, like they have a little bit of that in a little bit of that in Sean Crowley, but like not, like, I'm thinking, like, assholes like Tom Wilson, like, who are, like, really good, but, like, kind of douchebags. I'm thinking about people, you know, like Josh Anderson or PLD, who, like, obviously find themselves to be more on the on the good side of history versus the Tom Wilson. But that's the kind of thing that could be really exciting and tempting for the Blue Jackets, though, too, at six. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I know I'm not always the one that, like, loves – well, I guess just when they're not on our team. I don't love the guys that are assholes, like, on the ice sometimes. Like, I hate Tom Wilson. Like, I will always hate him. Um, I don't like Tony D'Angelo for many reasons, but one, because he's an asshole on the ice. Like, there's just people like that. Like, I don't like Brad Marchand. Like, I really don't like Brad Marchand. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't really like those kind of douchey players. I'm sure they're kind of good humans off of the ice but um you know it wouldn't be much like i said with olivier like it wouldn't be bad for us to have a little backbone uh when we go up against these teams that are like full of backbone and full of those like kind of guys that will get down and dirty um so if we can draft a little bit more of that to to come down the line i'm not mad about it no, I'm, I'm right there with you, and I'm excited about the possibility of that happening. Uh, so that's my prediction. I think you're going to, for the Blue Jackets, you're going to see them either pick 
Simon Nemec, David Juracek, or Cutter Gauthier there at six overall. Would you be okay with that? I think so. I mean, just think- like what? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was saying, like, when I was going over their stats and stuff this afternoon, like, I think out of those three, like, we would not be, like, we would definitely be better off with one of the three of them. So if that's the direction we go with in the sixth round, I'll be happy. And I think most of the fifth line would be pretty, pretty okay with, with those selections. Yeah, definitely. Now, are you the kind of person that thinks that they need to switch up? Like, if they do pick at 6 and 12, do you think that they need to pick a forward and a defenseman with 6 and 12? Or do you think that they could go double on on either position? I I think that they – position doesn't matter. They just should go with, like, the highest quality player that is available at that time. I mean, obviously you don't want to go through the entire draft and pick – all forwards or like all defensemen or hell all goalies like you don't want <laughs> you don't want to use all of your picks however many you have um in the draft on one singular position but i know and i know a lot of people like harsh on this especially in the first round they're like you need to get a variety like especially last year when we had three picks and they were like you need to get a variety like you need to get this that like the other thing, and like to me, it's not that important because at some point, this player, like they know that this player will potentially fill a spot or has potential to like be a part of whatever version of the team that they come into when they join the league. So, and like I said earlier, like I'm really glad I'm not the one that has to make these decisions, but like. I just I don't put as much emphasis, especially during the first round, of being like, you can't draft two forwards or you can't draft two defensemen. Like, I wouldn't necessarily draft two goalies in the first round. That seems a little bizarre, especially since it took goalies <laughs> so long to come into the league. Yeah. Um, but you know, if there were two incredible goalie prospects that were in the first round and Yarmo wanted to get them, I think I would trust him in that circumstance. But no, I'm not one that harps on, you know, diversifying it. I think you take the two best quality candidates that are, that fit your team's, like the overall dynamic of your team, like your mission of your team and all that sort of stuff. Like, and that's who you take regardless of what position they play. Yeah, I mean, I would – I think I I think I agree holistically, and I agree with what Yarma said. Like, I think, like, you know, you go in and, and you don't really, like, have this perception of what people think you need. Um, but you know what? I Like, friend, we host a podcast together, and you know why we host a podcast? Because we give our opinions, and sometimes our opinions are wrong, and that's okay. But I think after last year, you get two really solid forward prospects in Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger – in that first round, I with the talent that exists toward the top of this draft at defense, I think it's going to be a real loss if we can't get either Simon Nemec or David Urochek at six. Like, that's kind of where I'm at with it. If it were different players, and, like, if they go, like, if they go, like, third and fifth, then obviously you can't pick them, right? And then at that point, I think I care a little less. But with them being available at six, if they are, I think you got to pick one of them. After that, I think it go you go to – exactly what we what you just talked about and that's best player available and uh, i definitely think that'll be the team's 
thought at 12. Like, I think like if you make that pick at 12, you're picking best available because the draft starts to, I don't want to say thin out, but like, I will say like the lines blur a lot more between those picks. When you get to like outside of the top 10 to like the top 20, you could really kind of see those players going in any order. You know, there's a player that I don't even think I told you I wanted to talk about and I'm going to breeze by this, but there's a player that kind of did what um, Aturati did last year. And that was fell quite a bit. Um, Also a Finnish player who was looked at as maybe one of the top prospects in this draft. And that is Brad Lambert. And he's somebody who, who has obviously finished ties. Now I think just because someone's finished, it's ignorant for me to be like, Oh, you're interested. But I, I think obviously like you have a little bit more context, perhaps like if you know the game a little bit better in an area, and so I wonder, I wonder if Yarmel might take a risk on him at 12. It's a, it's risky. If you look at Corey Promen's mock draft, he's got him going 29th to the Edmonton Oilers. But again, leave it to this group to, def, def, uh, to, to defer from the consensus. Yeah, absolutely. It's you, like I said, you're never going to know what he's going to do before he does it. So, um, and that's, you know, we like to keep people on their toes and that's just how it is. And, you know, as much as I don't love chaos, like I'm kind of okay with this level of chaos. Um, I know Jeremy thrives on it. So, um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting, but overall, like I think our pipeline is going to be, you know, that much better after this draft like i also don't believe in the concept of a weak draft i think that that is insulting kind of to the players that are being drafted um obviously you're not necessarily gonna have like that person every year that everyone's like oh my god like you know but i think that puts a damper on all of the hard work that these players have put in over basically their whole lifetimes because most of them started playing hockey or at least skating when they were toddlers. So like to label something as like a weak draft, meaning that none of them have as much potential as, you know, a previous year, it's kind of insulting. Like it does, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, and that may be cause I'm a feelings person and I, you know, but I just think you should give credit where credit's due in these kids that's what they are because they're basically 17 18 19 years old um most of the time um this has been their whole life and it's such a big deal for them to get to this point to even being considered for the draft like i think that that's potential in and of itself and you can build a player far beyond their initial potential so I totally agree. The 2012 sucked, though. I'm going to go out on that one. I'm just going to say that, especially because we have the benefit of hindsight there. That was a bad draft. Uh, the Blue Jackets picked Ryan Murray second overall in that draft. and um, Hey, he just won the Stanley Cup without playing in the postseason. Right, yeah. No, I think that that says a lot about what I just said. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, the Blue Jackets were offered, and I think we've said this on the podcast before, and if not, well, you're welcome, people. Um, 
the Blue Jackets were offered every single one of the New York Islanders draft picks in the 2012 draft for the second overall draft pick. Like every single one, like every single one and every single round. And I, it's not that I dislike Ryan Murray, but there is a part of me that loves chaos that really wonders what would have happened if they would have taken it. <laughs> yes. Did they, did the Islanders want to give us all their picks for Ryan Murray? I guess, like, I, like, yeah, I mean, like, unless they had somebody else in their radar, but yeah, no, it was presumably for Ryan Murray, and the Blue Jackets front office will always say, like, even if we would have had the number one, because that was actually a year that they ended up getting pretty heavily gypped in the NHL draft lottery, they were supposed to, like, they had the highest odds in the, in the NHL draft lottery, and they fall back to second, and so, you know, the, the, general manager at the time, uh, which would have been Scott Housen and uh, the front office, you know, oh, we were, we were picking Ryan Murray first overall anyway, so it doesn't really matter, <laughs> which is possible. I mean, now Yakupov, you ever heard of that name? Probably not. Uh, also not great. So uh, it worked out for the Blue Jackets, I guess, between those two players. But yeah, I always wonder what would have been. I got to go back and look at the Islanders draft picks from 2012 sometime to see like if I get pissed about it. I love that you like to find opportunities to get mad about stuff that happened 10 plus years ago. Correct. Uh, I will say, oh, that was disgusting. That was 10 years ago when you just said that I got ill. But there is one player that I really do want the Blue Jackets to draft. And it's like less about hockey and it's more about just his personality. And that's Connor Geeky. Connor Geeky is somebody who is honestly like probably within the realm of possibility of being a top 15 draft pick. So it's possible that he could be in Columbus. From what I hear, he's just, like, the quirkiest guy. Like, he's just, like, he plays guitar, he sings, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, he's been at, like, it's just, like, he's just such a a goofball in the best way. Like, in, like, the way that I think Blue Jackets fans, like, adore and love. And so I'm kind of hopeful that he ends up being drafted by uh the columbus blue jackets because and that's actually who Corey promen has them picking at 12 overall that will simply make my day he's played a lot of uh center in winnipeg behind that of matthew savoy so he's a second line center there but that's because matthew savoy who's a top 10 talent had been playing on their first line well and like he had a really good clarify sorry what it's a Winnipeg of the WHL, I should clarify that. Yes, not the Jets. Because no. um, obviously he wouldn't be drafting if he was already in. Correct, correct. Um, but, I mean, he his 21-22 season um, with the WHL like was really good. I mean, he had 24 goals, 46 assists. Um, he played 63 games. So he had, Jesus Christ, he had 49 penalty minutes. <laughs> So, and he's, he's a big dude. Like he's six, four, yeah. he's uh, more slight, I would say. Um, Cause he's only 190 pounds, but, um, but he's, he's tall. Um, yeah. So, and we love a good Canadian. Um, we do. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be mad about it. Plus if he's like a quirky guy, I'm always a big fan of the ones that have like an original personality. <laughs> Um, yeah, and with a last name like Geeky, there's some things we could do with that. There most certainly are, and you might recognize that name as you're listening to it because 
his brother Morgan Geeky plays for the Seattle Kraken. Actually, to kind of pull this all full circle, Morgan Geeky is actually really probably the reason that Jake Bean is a Columbus Blue Jacket, because if you'll remember right, Jake Bean was left exposed in the expansion draft, and everybody was pretty certain that they were going to pick uh, Jake Bean, that Seattle was going to. But instead, obviously the front office, having had ties with Carolina uh, in Seattle, Seattle's general manager actually picked Morgan Geeky in that draft when he was in Carolina. So that was part of that tie there. Morgan Geeky gets picked. They still don't want Jake Bean. They trade him for a second round pick, and now he is ours. So uh, the Geeky brothers really could could leave their impression on Columbus at the end of this week. I'd be okay with that. I would too. I'm I'm kind of rooting for it. But Laura, do you have any other thoughts on on the draft aspect of thing? I've got one more question to throw to you before we wrap up this show. But in terms of the the draft, how are you feeling? I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm excited to see it <clears throat> to see it all go down, and you know, it'll be um, obviously a great time to be with a bunch of uh, fellow fifth liners as the first round goes off on. Thursday and obviously they get to spend day two with you like we did last year, but hopefully with less crying. Um, I don't know. I kind of liked it. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of liked me being in an absolute like depressive state over cam being traded. That's my best. The Texas roadhouse hit different after. Yeah. It always does when you've literally spent hours crying and I know that may sound dramatic, but it happened, so I'm not going to be ashamed of it. She took a um, thick-ass depression nap, too. <laughs> I did. I did. I left Jeremy just on his own <laughs> devices and was like, I have to go to sleep right now for at least <laughs> exactly a couple of hours. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm, I'm excited for all those aspects and... Like, how many times can you say it? Like, I just trust Yarmo, and I trust that him and his team are going to make some great decisions for us. I think so, too. So, speaking of decisions that Yarmo has to make, yes. on a scale of 1 to 10, mm-hmm. where are your nerves about the Patrick Line contract negotiations? We haven't talked about it in a minute. I figure we could wrap up the show kind of going back to this really big story for the Blue Jackets this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am like at a five. Like I'm not, I'm not really concerned. Like I think I'm, it's like getting there a little bit more, but I think when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I said, like, if we don't have anything by, like, the end of July, then, yeah, I'm probably going to get a little bit more concerned. So I think I'm still at that point. Um, obviously, we did not ask Yarmo directly about Patrick's contract. Um, he wouldn't tell us anything anyway, except for the same thing that he's been saying, which is things are going and you'll know when I tell you, like, that yeah, sort of answer. That's what we were told to say. Little do you all know that he uh, disclosed the terms of the contract to us the second we stopped hitting record. So uh, Yeah, we're the gatekeepers of this so, uh, Patrick Line contract uh, so situation. Thick, we're not. Don't come for us. We're not. For, for a thick $1,000, I'll tell you what he said. Only $1,000? Sounds great. <laughs> wow. Laura, Laura, we're lying. We don't have that information, so we're just going to take that oh, money I know. And run. I know. Anyway. <laughs> 
So I I am not overly concerned because I still fully believe, and from what I've seen online, both parties are still very interested. Nothing has even come out from Patrick's camp. But yeah, they haven't come to agreement on anything, but it's not like anyone has come out of Patrick's camp and been like, he doesn't want to do this anymore. Like, he doesn't want to keep having this conversation. Um, I know he wants a contract. I know the Blue Jackets want to give him a contract. And honestly, it's probably coming down to time and money. Now, the money thing shouldn't be that big of an issue for the Blue Jackets because we have quite a bit of cap space um, because we are one of the teams that spent the entire po- last season under the cap limit. So, like, and we've shifted things around. I think, you know, I told Jeremy, I was like, we save a ton of money on goaltenders. Like, out of the, like, crazy amount of talent that we have, we are saving a lot of money on goaltenders. <laughs> so um, the money's there. I think maybe in my opinion, the issue is length of contract. So, but to make a lot of rambling short, I am not um, at an ele- elevated rate of concern at this point. Yeah, I would say that's really exceptionally impressive because I feel like your baseline level of concern just in life, like where would you say that is? Like, if you're giving this a five, like, where would you say your life's baseline concern is? Like, I feel like you're always at a solid four. Yeah. <laughs> that would be correct. I I know you understand this, but I don't know if other people understand this. I have intense anxiety about mm-hmm. everything in my life. Sure. So, and yes, I am medicated, but it's not enough. So, <laughs> um. But yeah, no, my baseline's a four, I would say. Fair enough. So only only one above your baseline for your concern. I'd say I'm probably at like a four or five myself, like for very similar reasons that you said. Obviously, the one thing that makes things a little interesting in this is that Patrick Laine does have arbitration rights. And so that's something that could be, you know, challenge, I guess I could, I could say. Uh, the deadline for filing for arbitration. So Patrick Laine for player eligible arbitration would have to file for arbitration by July 17th, 2022 at 5 p.m. So we'll know by then, like, if if he'll file for arbitration. Now, what can happen is he can file for arbitration, and then between the day that he files to the day of his hearing, they could still come to terms on a contract, and it would be as if that never happened. But it's entirely possible that we should have some clarity, if, if nothing else, by no later than July 17th. And so that would be one shitty birthday present. <laughs> yeah, that is Jeremy's birthday. So no, like, um, no, I think isn't, did I, is this correct that Yarmo's never gone into arbitration? Not just Yarmo, the Blue Jackets have never gone into arbitration in franchise I don't history. Think, I don't think that um, the team or Yarmo is going to end that record with Patrick Laine. God, I hope so, not. Um, so hopefully... And especially, I think, after the draft is over, I mean, that's going to be his main thing. Like, he's just going to be Patrick Laine all day. Like, how many Celine bucket hats do we need to give you to sign this contract? Like, we can wrap your Lamborghini every week to match your hat. Like... 
you know, all those things I think will be available in his contract negotiations. I think so. I don't think there's anything being left off the table for Patrick Laine, but Laura, as we wrap up this episode, we'd be remiss, obviously. We're recording this episode on July 4th. Um, so today does mark one year since the passing of Matisse Kivlenix, uh, former goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets, you know, eternal goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, and so, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that up and say that we, of course, as we have been since it happened, are extending our well wishes, our love to the Kivlenix family. And we're thinking extra hard about the Merzlikens family this weekend as well as they continue to process the grief that they have of, of missing a family member as well. And so hopefully they were able to all take some time to, to rest and to, um, you know, reflect on the memories and the happiness and the good times of, of Matisse this weekend, um, as opposed to some of the, the harder memories. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is definitely a, a, can be a heavy day um, for any Blue Jacket fan um, or hockey fan in general. Um, but I think it's inspiring to see um, how Elvis and his family have chosen to mark today. And they, they are choosing to celebrate um, Matisse's life and because Matisse loved the 4th of July. And so um, they are choosing to teach their son, uh, Baby Knox, that this will be a day to celebrate his his uncle um, and his memory. So there's lots of cute pictures on their both of their social media um, that they are choosing to celebrate today um, and honor uh, Matisse's life and obviously what they did for her, what he did for them. Um, so yeah, so there's not a moment that I haven't stepped in the arena over this last year that I haven't thought about Kivi, um, and I know that to be true for um all blue jackets fans he's always in our hearts and in our minds and he's definitely elvis's guardian angel for sure without a doubt so laura um i will let you do what you do best let the people know where they can find the good content that we give them yeah absolutely you can follow us on social media we are on twitter and instagram at subjectively pod we're on facebook at subjectively speaking um, if you want to support your two favorite hockey podcasters and get some of our sweet merchandise, you can go to subjectivelyspeaking.threadless.com. Um, also, I skipped over this. Normally, I do this first. But um, if you want to check out our website, which is also where you can find our merch store, um, it is subjectivelyspeaking.com. If you want to learn a little bit more, not that we don't you know, spew out enough of our personal life. But if you want to learn more about Jeremy and I, that's the best place to go. Um, and lastly, you can rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll on down, give us a five-star rating. It is our favorite number. Again, we don't know how the algorithm works, but every new like and comment and subscribe helps us get noticed um, in the hockey podcast charts. And we just greatly appreciate all of you so much. And if you're coming to the draft party on Thursday, Jeremy and I will both be there as long as Jeremy doesn't have COVID. Um, so if you see us, please feel free and stop. Um, we would love to say hi and, um, you know, witness this great draft with all of you. Yeah, I'll tell you why the ratings matter. So that way when I send an email, that's like, hi, can we get Yarmulke Kekalainen on the podcast? Here are our numbers. That's where they matter. 
Uh, they do. So, and hey, so, so far they've worked. Yeah. So hit those five star ratings, folks. Uh, we love we love hearing your feedback. We love to make the show what you want the show to be, and we can't do that without your feedback. So feel free to give it to us um, whenever and however you can, unless it's mean, then we prefer to not have it. But actually, if it's mean, just send it to me, and I'll figure out a way to like bring it up to Laura, so that way like it all works out. But anyway. I hope everyone takes care of themselves, is is finding a way this week to process and to do whatever you need to for the many things that, that need processed right now in our country and our lives. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're taking care of yourselves and taking care of one another. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.